0: What if I caught you in the foyer and said, hey, I know a way that you can lose 20 pounds in a week. Or we're talking on, um, some of you are going, what do you, what? That's called liposuction, right? No, I'm not, that's not what I'm saying. What if, you, what if I caught you in the foyer and I said, hey, I know a way you can learn a new language. It'll just take you four hours. Or what if I said to you, hey, I I, I discovered this new way that you can become a painter, not the wall kind, the artist kind, in like three hours. Most of you would look at me and say, no way, right? you just blow me off. But here's what I want to say to you this morning, something that is mind-blowing. 21 seconds can change the rest of your life. The 21 seconds I'm talking about is the time it takes to recite the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer can literally change the rest of your life. That's what we're in this summer as our our, our series, the Lord's Prayer. And it's 21 seconds that can indeed change the way you do life and look at life. We're going to read the Lord's Prayer out loud together. I know we just heard it, but we're going to read it out loud together in a very traditional version. It's going to appear on the board right behind me. And I would like you to read it out loud with me. Here we go. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever and ever amen takes about 21 seconds to recite that prayer this is a profound and powerful prayer and here's the deal most of you who are here this morning have had some prior experience with the lord's prayer that's maybe challenging you in your understanding of it and use of it we're going to get to that in just a few moments but i want to give you a little bit more background on the prayer and then I'm going to get to two commonly held positions on the use of this prayer by, uh, by, uh, that was given to us by Jesus our Lord. Two commonly held views of how it should be used. So this prayer is given to us by Jesus himself. Uh, it appears in the Sermon on the Mount that's found in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Specifically, the Lord's Prayer is found in Matthew 6. Now, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is teaching us about the kingdom of God. He's kind of blowing our minds wide open with these profound teachings. He begins the Sermon on the Mount with the Beatitudes. Remember the Beatitudes? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And he goes through all these fantastic kingdom principles. Well, then he gets to this moment, and he teaches us how to pray. Now, you've got to understand what was going on in that culture at that time people would pray in a very flowery, showy way. They would go stand in the corner, and they would pray out loud, and they'd say, now look at me, I'm going to show you spirituality. And they would begin to pray using eloquent phrases and words. And Jesus basically was counteracting that prayer entirely by saying, listen, when you pray, you say our Father. You're speaking to your Heavenly Father. You're in intimate relationship with this benevolent King. You approach this relationally. It's not showmanship. It's about connecting with your Heavenly Father who loves you extravagantly, as we talked about last week. That label, our Father, has all these implications. That we have a Father who's crazy about us, wants to be in a relationship with us, who's prodigal, so to speak. We used the prodigal last week to talk about the the parable of the prodigal son, which really is about a prodigal God because God is an extravagant spender. Our Father... Connect with God, Jesus is saying in this prayer in the Sermon on the Mount. That was revolutionary. Well, then over in Luke chapter 11, we see a second giving of the Lord's Prayer in the New Testament. In this case, the disciples saw Christ praying. And they were so enamored by that and so taken back by his prayer. One of them boldly asked Jesus, teach us to pray like that. And basically what this disciple was saying was, I want to connect with God like you are connecting with God. I see something here I want to have in my own life. And the Lord goes into the Lord's prayer. When you pray, pray like this. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Jesus has given us a way to connect with God in earnest, authentic, prayer and the ending of the prayer that's commonly seen in the traditional form that we showed up here not necessarily do you see it scripturally it's called the doxology it ends with for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and it's like arrows going ping bang bang just shooting at who god is and what he's all about interestingly enough um in may of 2014 pope francis made a historic visit to jerusalem where he met with and humbly kissed the hands of six Holocaust victims. Encouraged by the Israeli government to do so, he became the first pope ever to visit the Victims of Acts of Terror Memorial. The memorial commemorates all the nation's victims of terrorism going all the way back to 1850, 1851. At the Western Wall, uh, Pope Francis knelt and prayed with his forehead against the mass of ancient stones. As countless thousands before him had done, he wrote a prayer folded it, and tucked it into the wall. When asked what he wrote, he said, Our Father. That's a Catholic way of saying the Lord's Prayer. I wrote it in Spanish and I stuck it in the wall. The Lord's Prayer is significant and it's been debated for a long time whether it's a model of prayer or if it's supposed to be a liturgical reading of a prayer. And this debate has gone on uh, for a long time and it's been hotly debated and The model says, hey, this is how you go to God. You go to Him as your Father, you go to Him simply. You don't go to him with all this extravagance and all this hoopla. You go to him simply as your father in heaven who cares about you. You begin by hallowing his name. You begin by praising who he is. Then you go to some petitions, and then you end by praising him once again. It's a model of prayer. And the other uh, uh, school of thought on this is, no, it's just liturgical. It's, It's meant to be read word for word. It is a formal prayer that the church is supposed to pray. These are our two introductory thoughts this morning on the Lord's Prayer. Two ways the Lord's Prayer is used. First of all, it's used as a model. It's used as a model. It's like a framework. You hang your approach to connection with God on this framework. It begins with praise. You can have some petitions. They ought to look like this. They ought to be in the framework of these petitions. And then end with some praise. And the second way it's looked at and used is as a liturgical devotional prayer. Liturgical and devotional prayer. Now, here's my take on it. Yes and yes. It can be used both ways. It can be used as a model, and it can be used liturgically. And when it's recited, it takes just 21 seconds to go through it. But even just reciting it like we did today, what I hope begins to transpire in you is a rich, deep meaning is percolating in you as you say it. I think there's a few reasons why the Lord's Prayer has fallen into some disuse. First of all, it's fallen into some disuse because it was a form of punishment, from its use as a punishment. Um, In the Catholic world, and especially in the ancient Catholic Church, uh, as a penance for sin, oftentimes you would have to say, Our Father. Now what that means is you'd have to say the Lord's Prayer so many times. Right? As a penance as, a, as some kind of a restitutionary act for sinning against somebody else. So it was used as a form of punishment. Here, here's the problem. What, what do you associate with punishment? It's punishment fun. Negativity, right? I got into a lot of trouble when I was a young kid in school. and uh, At any rate, I, I, I know well what punishment feels like. And there's nothing worse than the teacher saying, you know, you did this wrong, you need to write this on the board 50 times. I didn't like that teacher, nor did I like the school. It did not endear me to that institution. Punishment does not endear you to something. Your association with it becomes a negative association. So the intention was good. You've sinned, you've done something wrong, say, you know, the Lord's prayer a bunch of times, and maybe it will work it out of you. Unfortunately, then the association with the Lord's Prayer is a negative one. And here's a second reason I think it's fallen into some disuse. From its use only as liturgy. Only as liturgy. That that was my growing up experience in the Lutheran Church. It was used... As liturgy. Every Sunday we said this thing and the prayer of the pastor almost always ended with a rec- recitation of the Lord's Prayer. And it began to become just numbing and rote and routine and familiar. And it's not very impactful. I, I remember a professor at uh, the University of Indiana saying to me when I was taking my Bible classes uh, from that institution, I remember him saying to me this multiple times. He'd write notes in the papers and stuff that I was uh, submitting. He'd write multiple times, Steve, whatever you do, take this to heart. You can bore people with physics. (laughs) You can bore people with math. He knew I had a math science background. and Then he would say this, never bore them with the Bible. If you need to bore them, bore them with chemistry. But don't bore them with the Bible because the Bible is never boring. Boy, that has stuck with me. And we have to watch out that we don't unintentionally, by familiarity and overuse of something, bore us and get us to not understand the significance and importance of that. And such is the case a bit with the Lord's Prayer. Well, it's not only fallen in disuse because of mainstream churches, There have been some others who have kind of thrown out the Lord's Prayer, and I I need to talk on on that a moment just to be in fairness, okay? I want to tell you what Dr. Mark Rutland said he experienced as he tried to use the Lord's Prayer in a more charismatic setting. Now, Dr. Rutland wrote a book, 21 Seconds to Change Your World. It's basically where I got the title for this message from and the thoughts of introduction for this message. Um, He said uh, this is his experience um, he was um, uh, basically, well, he was the president of Oral Roberts University, so let me give you that background about him. But uh, what he said was that the Lord's Prayer faced the obstacles of disuse because of it being used as punishment and it being used uh, in just a liturgical manner. But then he says this, listen, Charismatics and Pentecostals finished the job. Paranoid about any possible liturgical subversion and terrified that something might look, God forbid, traditional, they by and large ignore the Lord's Prayer. When I became president at Oral Roberts University, certainly the best-known charismatic university in the world, I began to occasionally use the Lord's Prayer corporately in the chapel services. It was not long before one mother called me in tears that her daughter was in spiritual pain at being subjected to such a practice. I was, she maintained, destroying the student's worship experience pointing out to her that Jesus gave us the prayer and commanded us to use it proved an irrelevant and inefficient argument in the face of her deeply held convictions. Christian college students, she insisted, should not be put through such a gruesome and spirit-killing experience as praying the Lord's Prayer together in chapel. I read that and I go, wow, are you kidding me? So here's what we've done this morning. We've poked around the Lord's Prayer a bit. I've kind of mused around and talked to you on some concepts concerning it. Whenever I'm diving into like a big overwhelming project, I don't know how you are, I have a routine. And I remember years ago, well just a couple years ago, I I was going to overhaul our Camry. um, And it would take about 10 hours to overhaul the engine of the Camry. And so... I got all my parts together and I had them all lined up there neatly. I had a game plan. I had some of the manuals out. I'd read up on it. I had got my tools out and I I washed the engine off because I don't like to get really greasy and dirty, you know, so I kind of cleaned the engine all up. I did all this, you know, pre-work and I kind of mused around the thing. Then I turned the radio on. That was the last moment before the project began. I said, now I'm into the project. I'm going to dive into this thing and just tear it apart. Well, we've poked around at the Lord's Prayer beginning last week. We talked about the label Our Father. It's so important we know that label because we're supposed to be entering into this thing with intimacy with God. And now I've talked to you a little bit this morning, amused around. I've laid out some tools. I've cleaned up some things. Now we're ready to tear into the puppy. Are you ready to tear into it? Because now we're going to look at this prayer structurally. We're going to begin to take the engine apart. We're going to begin to look at its parts and see the effect they're supposed to have on us. So we're going to look at the, the, the Lord's Prayer structure this morning. And then week by week from now on, we're going to get to individual lines and look at their implications and what they really mean to you and I as followers of Jesus. So the Lord's Prayer begins with praise. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. It begins with prayer uh, begins with praise now if you're going to connect with God in prayer it needs to begin with acknowledgement of who he is and praising him it needs to be uh, having this view that uh, God you are able God you are sufficient God you are great God you are awesome and all that kind of stuff and then after the praise we get into this almost rhythmic petition giving it's just really cool thy kingdom come thy will be done In earth as it is in heaven, give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. These petitions, they just roll off your tongue. Aren't they pretty? Wow, you guys. It does. It's got this rhythm to it. It's got this sweetness to it. Now, what I've done here is I've broken these petitions down into declaration with a super important ad, the implication. They're poetic, and they're pretty, and they're cool to say, but man, do they carry a deep implication. That's life-changing. And and so it begins with this praise. It gets to these petitions. Let me walk you through these petitions, and let me give you the implications of each petition. This is what we're going to cover in the weeks to come. First, the Lord says we are to petition for his kingdom to come and his will to be done. You know what that implies? You know what the implication is? Surrender on our part. Surrender on our part. It sounds so spiritual to say, God, we want your kingdom here. Your kingdom come, Lord. Your will be done, Lord, on earth as it is in heaven. Oh, that sounds so good, doesn't it? What does it mean for you and me? That we're willing to surrender to his kingdom. We're willing to surrender to his will. That's scary. We live in a very democracy oriented culture. We don't really understand kingdoms. In a kingdom, we don't have a right, in a kingdom, we don't have a voice. When we pray for God's kingdom to come as will to be done, it is downright earth-shaking scary in its implication of surrender required on our part. Jesus goes on to say this, and here's our, our second declaration. It's the second petition. It's a petition for daily provision. Give us this day our daily bread. That implies On you and me that we have dependence on God the implication is dependence again on the surface this sounds so utterly good we need to depend on God and that is good but it implies we are willing to be dependent doesn't it that's what it implies I can only speak for myself and for a few of you that I've gotten to know pretty well we don't like to depend on anybody Basically, in the American culture, we grow up from being dependent on our parents. We're little infants, and we're dependent on them for everything. And and part of the maturation process is we grow up, we become independent, and we become morally responsible, self-reliant adult citizens, right? That's the normal path of maturity. But in God's economy, in God's kingdom, we move from self-will, independent people, to dependency upon him. It just goes against the very fabric of everything that we're taught. Give us this day our daily bread. That implies we're willing to be dependent on God. Then Jesus goes on to say this third declaration, and it's a petition for forgiveness. Forgive us our trespasses. You know what that implies? The implication there is that we need cleansing. We need cleansing. That means we have to admit something's wrong. We can't fix ourselves; We're broken. This requires self-awareness. It requires humility. We need to become really self-aware, folk, of who we are and our propensity to sin. We need to become self-aware more and understand how needy we are of the cleansing of the Lord Jesus Christ by the infilling of His Spirit. We are so bent... To sin, we don't even know half the time, and we are desperately needy of this cleansing. Forgive us of our trespasses. <sighs> Do an exercise once in a given day, count how many times you're cranky, how many times you're short with somebody, how many times a bad thought may roll into your mind. You'll begin to pray. God, forgive me my trespasses. I need your cleansing. Now, a companion to this declaration is, forgive those who trespass against me. And that's a petition for forgiveness for those who trespass against you. And that implies, the implication is, you're willing to release them. You're willing to forget it. You're willing to just get over it. When we don't forgive others, they control us. We get bitter, we get resentful, and it hurts our hearts. We need to be released from that. The implication of the declaration of forgive us our trespasses is we forgive those who trespass against us. is we're saying to God, I want to be released from my anger against this person who hurt me or this person who wronged me. I don't want to be controlled by that. That's the implication. Are you willing to be released? Sometimes we get defined by who we're mad at. And we we get energy in life from that, so to speak, in a wrong, very dysfunctional way. We go from one thing to another thing. This person offended me. This person offended me. You know some people like this are always angry, always offended by somebody. And it kind of brings this really bad source of energy into their life. I want to be released from that. How about you? That's not how I want to live life. And then the last declaration is this. It's a petition for protection from sin and evil. And that means we understand we need deliverance. The implication is we need deliverance. We have to understand we live in a cosmic battle. We are in a war of kingdoms. The kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ is at war with the devil and his kingdom. And there's no neutrality in this thing. And we need to be delivered from the control of sin and evil. And then, in the classic traditional Lord's Prayer that we read this morning, it ends with this wonderful doxology, this wonderful ending. For thine is the power, thine is the glory. You know, thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. Right? It ends with this wonderful declaration of praise and focus once again on God. And so, you have the Lord's Prayer. It begins with praise. In between the ending of praise, a sandwich petition. So you connect, you go to God, declare who he is, and you submit to him, and then you give your petitions, and these are the petitions you ought to be praying about. They ought to be on your heart as a follower of God. And then you end by saying, for thine is what? The kingdom, thine is the power, and thine is the glory. And you're right back to focusing on God. Amen? And Jesus has given us this wonderful mo- model of connection to God. It begins with praise, sandwiched between praise is petition, and of course then it ends in praise. So what I want to do for just the last few moments of the message today is briefly, looking, is briefly look at the beginning and the end of the Lord's Prayer. Just the praise element this morning. And we'll get into the rest of uh, all the, all the prayer in the weeks that uh, lie ahead of us this summer. So let's look at the beginning and the end. The, the, really, this praise is a focus on the divine nature of God. And it begins with, Our Father, who art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name. That really is a focus on the holiness of God. God, you're holy. God, you're not common. You're not profane. You're not mundane. You are one of a kind. You are set apart. You are unique. And your attributes are like nobody else's. Amen? Because you are God. So we hallow your name. We declare that it is holy. And God's name throughout Scripture bring out his uniqueness, and our response ought to be the hollowest name. Genesis begins with the creation account. We're familiar with that, right? Well, the name for God in Genesis is Elohim, and it means God of creative power, the God who creates, the God who makes something from nothing. So right away in Genesis, we see an aspect of God that that ought to cause us to hollow his name. You are the creative one. You are the unique one. You bring something from nothing, And then, as Scripture goes on, his name is revealed to us as El Shaddai. You remember that song, El Shaddai, El Shaddai, right? That means God Almighty. Mighty one, strong in battle, the one able to save. God, we hallow your name. You're the Almighty God. You are powerful and able to save. In Hebrew culture, in ancient times, when the scribes were 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 copying the scriptures and whenever they had come upon the name of God and uh, uh, they had uh, a name for God that was unpronounceable, it was just, you know, uh, given by several consonants, whenever they would come to that, they would take a bath. They would cleanse themselves so they could write the name down. Can you imagine? You think homework's bad now. Can you imagine that? They so hollowed his name and that was God who was unpronounceable. His name is unpronounceable. Mentionable, unutterable they'd get upon that name and they would just worship they'd clean up and they'd have a moment even as they were copying his name down so hollow be thy name carries all the implication that i just shared with you we're going to get into this some more um next week but Get this, all heaven is doing this right now. They're hallowing God's name. We ought to be joining in. In Revelation chapter 4, verse 8, we're told that the living creatures around the throne of the Lord in heaven never stop saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. I love the story of Isaiah. I just began to read this again last night. I love the story of Isaiah in the Old Testament. And I love how he's commissioned. He's commissioned by God and set apart as a prophet of a God, and he has a vision, and he sees the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and there's seraphs surrounding the throne, and they are calling to each other, holy, 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 it's the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. We're going to say that out loud together because you need to kind of wake up and get some blood percolating in your head. Here we go. Let's say this out loud together. Say it with me. Holy, 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 it's the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. So the beginning of the Lord's Prayer, it starts with hallowing his name, this praise of God. Then it ends with this wonderful, strong doxology, for thine is the kingdom, thine is the power, and thine is the glory. For thine is the kingdom just implies kingship. It implies we ought to be worshiping this this God because of his kingship. And praise God, we're, we're ruled by a benevolent king who has our best interests at heart. Amen. Praise God for that. In Revelation, we're told that the world is coming to the end. And as it's coming to the end, there are seven trumpets that sound that bring various judgments and statements from God as the world is winding down as we know it. I love what the seventh trumpet represents and the the revelation that it brings about. We get to the seventh trumpet, the, the last angel, he sounds his trumpet, and loud voices in heaven say, the kingdom of the world has now become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever and ever, and I add on that, Forever. It's just so powerful. The kingdom of God is coming. It's being ushered in. So when the Lord's Prayer ends, for thine is the kingdom, what we're saying is amen and amen to what God is about and what he's doing. His kingdom is coming. He's working in the establishment of his kingdom. And then it goes on and says, thine is the power. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 4.20, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. And get this, the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is at work in each one of us who have given our lives to God by faith in Christ. Amen? It's not something that just happened back then. It's supposed to be happening now. For thine is the power. Oftentimes we look at power and we think money or job or political position or physical fitness or a power bar that you eat or a juice that you drink. For thine is the power. God has power to do what he says he's going to do. And we need to believe that and we need to declare it. And then it gets to this last thought, for thine is the glory. This might be my favorite. For thine is the glory. In the Old Testament, you had this great leader, Moses. God's interacting with Moses face to face, so to speak. And Moses says, God, I want to see your glory. I want to see the fullness of who you are. And God says, I'm going to pass before you. But then as he does so, he puts a shield over Moses' eyes because Moses can't look on his glory and live. And he lets Moses just hear the rear end of his glory a little bit. Moses just got a glimpse of the glory of God as he passed by because he couldn't handle the glory of God. Listen to John 1.14, though. Listen to John 1.14. The word became flesh, that's Jesus. He made his dwelling among us. We have seen what? His glory. We have seen his glory. The glory of the one and only. For thine is the glory. That's Jesus. We have seen the glory of God. And we live. The glory has been revealed to us. For thine is the glory. It's our beloved Jesus. In Jesus, we see the glory of God revealed. So here's our takeaway today, simple takeaway. True connection with God can only happen when you see who he is and you focus on him. That's the bookends of the Lord's Prayer. Begins with praise, ends with praise. It's all about focusing on God, seeing who God is, and meditating and focusing on that. And I want to give you a challenge today. Take 21 seconds out of your day frequently, whether it's multiple times in a day or a few times this week, just take 21 seconds and say the Lord's Prayer. Say the Lord's Prayer. Say it out loud. Say it out loud. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. 21 seconds. Say it several times during the week. And at least during this time, focus on who God is. This week, focus on who God is. He's El Shaddai. He's Elohim. He's the unpronounceable one. He's all-present, all-knowing all-powerful. He's perfection from the beginning to the end. He's eternal self-existent. All right? Focus on that part of the prayer. Each week we'll give you another piece to focus on.